Um, as Timberland just mentioned on the intro, it has been a long time. This is episode five of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast coming to you oh, about 10 months after the last episode we did. But you know what? It's been pretty busy around these parts. But uh, we are also gearing up for an incredibly busy summer. We have the Women's World Cup. We have the Gold Cup. We have the U20 World Cup. MLS action, NWSL action. We're going to do just about everything. Uh, but first, you should probably... We should probably reintroduce ourselves. Um, I'm Donald. Uh, I am with Stars and Stripes SC, and we also have Stephanie. Stephanie, how's it going? Uh, it's been so busy. So much is happening, and so much is going to happen so soon. Yeah, it, it, like we, we've talked about how the 10 months have been busy. I feel like this next month or two for both of us is just going to be um, that if you see us on the streets, give us oxygen because we're going to need it. Um, it's going to be one of those kind of grinds. That we're about to embark on, but uh, also you—you you know, not just with Stars and Stripes FC, you've been killing it on, on another avenue uh, platform here at uh, SB Nation. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Aha, uh-huh. yes, SB Nation launched a women's soccer platform. It's called All for Eleven XI. Very clever, I know. And we're covering women's soccer exclusively for SBN, and hoping to add to our team. If any of you out there um, are looking to maybe talk a little bit more about soccer, your lifelong obsession, then, you know, drop a line. We're always looking for more contributors who know about the game. Um, I think it's a really exciting time to launch a women's soccer specific website because the 2019 Women's World Cup is coming up. But also I think it's just an interesting time for women's soccer internationally. Yeah, absolutely. And and I I know you're going to be starting, obviously, by covering mostly issues dealing with the U.S. Women's National Team and the Women's World Cup, but um, you've also done some stuff on uh, women's soccer around the world, both club and uh, national team. So I think that uh, is going to be an interesting uh, thing to keep note of. So all of you out there, AFI or AFXI, um, all411.com, go check that out. We're going to also, you know, cross post some some of their work on our site as well, because a lot of it is very relevant um, and, and very, very important to read. So uh, we will have that going forward with this podcast. Now, obviously we we are going to try and pick this back up and we want to bring this to you as kind of a way to deal with some content um, as we approach uh, our busy June and July. We'll talk a little bit more about what uh, content we will have probably towards the end of this show. Uh, but for now, know that this podcast is now a part of the, SB Nation podcast network. That way you guys will be able to, you'll you'll probably hear some ads on here about other podcasts in that network, um, whether it be MLS uh, clubs or uh, other sports uh, that may be germane to your area. Um, but you can find us anywhere you can find podcasts, um, Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, anywhere you can find that, we will be able to uh, uh, service you at those areas. If you are following us on SoundCloud, uh, we have moved our hosting off of SoundCloud. So that is the only place that you will not be able to find us. But those other avenues, like I mentioned, you will be able to uh, find us there uh, and, and subscribe as well. Uh, obviously, as we go forward, we're going to be bringing you more of these, uh, both uh, individually as well as collectively 
uh, just so we give you all the content that we can possibly give you about all these tournaments we have coming up. Um, so Stephanie, where do you want to start? Oh God. Uh, I mean, we could probably start with a little bit of NWSL because that'll lead us right into the world cup. It's just this little tournament that's happening this summer in France. It's not a big deal. I mean, you and I have been planning our lives around this tournament for the past month or so, probably. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> no, let's do that. And and how many games do we have left in the NWSL before some of these players dip out? I know some of the uh, American players have gone, but I feel like there's a couple that are called into other national teams that are still playing. Is that correct? Yeah, the Australians are still around, and so are some of the Brazilians, I want to say. Don't quote me on that. But yeah, mm-hmm. the Aussies are around. As we're recording this podcast, Sam Kerr's just did some neat stuff for the Chicago Red Stars. So I think that's an illustration that even with the World Cup coming, it doesn't mean that you have to overly disrupt your players' club plans. That's infuriating. Watching Sam Kerr score for the Chicago Red Stars on the same day that Sam Mewis and Jess McDonald are sitting in the stands watching North Carolina Courage play and uh, drop points to another team. North Carolina Courage are now winless in three, I want to say. They tied Sky Blue, they lost to Chicago, and they've now just tied Utah Royals. And I can't imagine Paul Riley being there and seeing two of his like core players up in the stands not allowed to play because U.S. Soccer wanted to yank everybody as early as possible. Yeah, that seems kind of weird, especially uh, when you're looking at we, we've had now two of the three send-off matches. We had one last Sunday. Uh, on Mother's Day, um, which, you know, is a story in itself. And then one this past Thursday in St. Louis. And now there's about 10 days between this match, uh, the match that they had, and the and their final uh, send-off match uh, next Sunday in New Jersey. And I feel like this, this would have been a good weekend to, you know, send those players home, keep them fit and keep them fresh um, by having some of them play. Now, I, I get they, you know, there's the uh, – the worry about injuries and, and things like that. But I feel like at least making them having them play and make an appearance and keep their fitness going uh, would be a good thing instead of, as you mentioned, having two players sit and watch their team play in the stands when they could be on the field. I just don't know. I've, I This is a continuing tension between NWSL and U.S. soccer. And at some point, I feel like there has to be some kind of reckoning. Maybe it's not going to be for another four years because – that's how long it's going to take for another World Cup to come around, and maybe they won't fuss over the Olympics either. But as long as NWSL is so beholden to U.S. soccer, stuff like this is going to keep happening. I think it's a good sign we're talking about it in terms of, like, when is this going to end instead of, yeah, it's kind of necessary for now because the the league needs it to keep going. Mm-hmm. So we're in year seven, um, four more years. I would hope around 10 years of NWSL, which – you know, if you'd asked me in year one, are you confident you'll get to year 10? I'll be like, are you kidding me? But now I'm like, yeah, I think we could get to year 10. Mm-hmm. By then, I'm hoping that this is a question that'll have been, if not answered, at least asked and seriously discussed among U.S. soccer and WSL and whatever ownership groups exist at that time. I think it's going to be something, just another thing to add to the plate of the NWSL Players Association, the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association, not, you know, I mean, it seems like they don't have anything going on right now. So maybe they have all the time in the world to deal with this. Um, but in, in all seriousness, they this is probably just one more thing that they're going to add to their plate uh, going forward in 
honestly, here's the thing. If the U.S. goes and wins this World Cup, then U.S. soccer will just say, hey, this plan works. We should do this every time because we'll win every time. Um, and I think that is the key here, right? Like, we don't want them to lose, but it, it almost seems like losing um, in tournaments like they did in 2016 prompts more of a change. Yeah, U.S. soccer, I feel like, is terrified of losing because they've started to build this juggernaut um, and I think they think, well, the moment they lose, we're going to lose any momentum we have going forward and our ability to make money off of this team, something like that. But I'm wondering if the next time collective bargaining comes around, if this isn't something, I'm not sure how the national team could address this on the club level, except to talk about like adhering more strictly to FIFA dates. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's the that's the idea. You know, you have to, the FIFA dates always change and they're, there's stuff that like, you know, the men's calendar is set four years in advance and the women's calendar is set like two months in advance. So they don't necessarily know all of the dates before they start planning schedules. But at the same time, I feel like there are opportunities to promote the NWSL teams without having, you know, some of their best players sitting in the stands watching their team when they could be playing, uh, especially when other national teams aren't doing the same thing. Right. Uh, it's my hope that eventually in four years, NWSL is going to stop feeling like a league. In in my opinion, it feels like U.S. soccer regards NWSL as a league where they can park their national team players and kind of just keep them in general state of readiness, but all for the sake of the national team and not, you know, for the sake of building soccer in this country, which is part of their stated mission goal, you know? Right. Absolutely. Uh, now, you know, Shifting from that, we have the, the players leaving the NWSL to go to their national teams, and we have the Women's World Cup coming up in just under three weeks now. Um, give us a sense. What do you think? I mean, I, I know you've watched both national team games for the women. Uh, I have as well. Uh, what have you seen so far that you like? What have you seen that uh, we need to work on before we hit the plane to France? We're going to need to work on that defense so hard. Like, I know we just ran over New Zealand 5 nothing, and we can rack up impressive scores, but it feels like Jill Ellis is kind of that meme of the guy tapping his head and being like, you don't need to work on defense if you're always scoring, you mm -hmm. know? So, but you can't always rely on being able to pump six, seven, eight players forward at all times for 90 minutes. Or and and then hope to God that Becky Sauerbrunn and Abby Dahlkemper can just kind of clean up any mess that happens to sneak through. It's not going to happen when, you know, you have maybe not even in group with Sweden in our group. And then, you know, weird stuff happens in tournaments. Like, um, so the United States group, uh, we've got Thailand, Sweden, and Chile. Mm -hmm. And I'm not too worried about Thailand. <laughs> it's, I don't think it's anyone really, is, but that's no. it. It's unfortunate it that, for last. Yeah. yeah, it's unfortunate that there are teams in here who are just going to get swept because their federations don't care about them. Um, but I, I don't want to take Chile for granted, and definitely Sweden is going to be a weird one. So weird things happen at the World Cup, right? Um, and then if depending on, I think everybody very quickly worked out with the bracket. It's very possible the United States can hit France early in knockouts. I think we said. Quarters? Quarterfinals. Yeah. Yes. In Paris, uh, June 28th, if both teams win their group uh, and get past their round of 16 matchup, they would meet in Paris on June 28th. 
which would right. <laughs> that would be that's I mean that's the equivalent of like Brazil and what Brazil and Argentina playing in the quarterfinals of the World Cup, just like the two best teams going yeah. for it, and, and it's, it's still very have likely more games to play after that. Yeah, it's very likely because France's group is France, South Korea, Norway, and Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, so once again, weird things happen, and I think France actually has a much tougher group than the United States because South Korea, Norway, Nigeria, any one of those three teams can give you trouble if they're playing at their very best. Uh, and once again, weird things happen at the World Cup. Cards, injuries, sickness. I don't know. I would never. I hope nobody gets injured. But you just can't predict the future. So I don't like our national team, the U.S. national team's habit of like, well, the defense is what it is. Instead, we're relying on our the the way we attack out of this four three three formation, where they're relying on either overload overloading one side or the other, usually through Kelly O'Hara or Crystal Dunn, and then you know really hoping that Megan Rapino or Lindsey Horan is going to be able to become a provider or a target because I don't think Alex Morgan has really been on top of her game lately. Like I'm kind of whispering it because you know, I don't want her to hear. <laughs> I don't want her to hear. And I don't want her fans to she, hear. But... She clearly listens to this podcast. She's been waiting for us to come back. So yeah, so you hear what we have to say, um, but I, I think it, it's weird, right? Like when you're talking about what it takes to win a championship, and you can talk about this in any sport, but especially soccer, you have to be great on offense. You have to be great on defense. You have to be great in what I call the special teams, the intangibles, those type of deals. And even after all that, you need a little bit of luck. And for us, our luck that we need is, like you said, no injuries. I mean, because we are, you know, one or two injury with one or two knocks away from being very thin at some positions. And uh, I think when it comes to uh, our defense, it, it's almost like they're relying on us scoring four to five goals a game. And we just can't do that because there's going to be games where we don't. And if we can't score three, you know, three goals or four goals or five goals, who who are we going to shut down uh, when, when teams are throwing everything and the kitchen sink at us to get an equalizer late in a, a second round game or a quarterfinal or a semifinal, who, who are we going to count on to take out the trash and, and clean up any balls that are in the box get it out of there and bring a victory home. That is really my question as we enter this final game against Mexico, which is where we should be working on those things because Mexico is not that good and we should be able to beat them, but we should use that time to be working on the things that we need to work on. That's the thing. You and I have watched these games and it doesn't seem like they're actively working on some of the problems that come up. Mm -hmm. Like the way that they, well, I don't know if they're just, if they are working on them, but I don't like the solutions that they've come up with. For example, the way that they use Julie, Julie Ertz, like I think it, it was against South Africa, Allie Long came on. And so Julie Ertz gets pushed back into the back line as a center back. And I think later on, Jill Ellis was talking about how she wants Julie to get time there in to, to, you know, get, remind her of, you know, say start sharp on the skills in case in the World Cup there comes a time she has to drop back. I think that's fine. But when she's pushing Julie Ertz back to CB, Allie Long is not taking over the role. Julie Ertz is still pushing up as if she's in that kind of defensive mid position. So I don't know that they're effectively implementing, like, 
I think Julie Yurtz is too smart to be that positionally undisciplined. So they're still counting on her to play like Julie Ertz, like individually, instead of fitting back into the system that they want. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. And, and it's funny that you mentioned that because if you even look at the, the Fox soccer commercial or the Fox sports commercial that they have for the Women's World Cup, they they have the, the one commercial where the, the team is obviously pressing forward, trying to score. Julie Ertz's role in that commercial is to say, push up, push up, push up. And while she collects the ball at midfield and it, clearly starting from a, a further back position and telling the whole team to press forward. And I think that in a way that's fine because you're trying to promote the offensive attack that we have that is outstanding. But when we're going against a team that has a similarly good attack, like a France or an England, um, you know, even, even a Germany, uh, Australia, those teams that can, that have given us fits in the past, we got to know how to combat that. And if, uh, you know, Crystal Dunn or Julie Ertz goes forward, who's going to, provide the cover for them so that when they go forward and the ball is lost, they, you know, while they're tracking back, we have someone in position to, to cover them. That's the rotations that we're not really seeing because the teams that we're playing aren't giving us that opportunity to kind of test that. Um, and I feel like that is the one question is how are we working on that to, uh, so that when we do play one of these better teams, that when that happens, we feel confident that, you know, Becky and Dahl Kemper can, be there to provide the cover or someone else. I'm a little more confident on in our left side than on the right in terms of the defensive work. You're talking about cover uh, mm-hmm. on the left side. That's usually Crystal Dunn, unless Jill has decided to flip her because she's like, <laughs> Crystal, you can play anywhere, right? Great. Right. Shift. Um, so I trust Lindsay Horan more to be able to provide defensive cover, especially in her role as box to box midfielder. And just in general, being like more, physically capable of taking someone out than Rose Lavelle, who usually plays on the right in the 4-3-3 and is like, can be lethal in combination with Kelly O'Hara. Like they can open up a lot of holes because O'Hara's really got the movement and Lavelle has the distribution, but Lavelle, I don't think has the same kind of defensive ability or grit as Haran. So I guess we'll see how that plays out. I, I don't know if either one of them is ever going to be asked to play defense based on our current system. Yeah. And, and that, that'll be hopefully something we, we see a little bit more of against Mexico, because like I said, I feel like that is going to be a game given how we played against them in the CONCACAF championship for qualifying. Uh, that'll be a game where we can work out some of these things and kind of put ourselves in situations and see how they respond. Uh, because this team is not going to be a test. This is supposed to be a celebration. And I think, That'll hopefully be able give them some opportunities to work on the field on some things. But uh, I wanted to ask, going forward as we kind of shift gears into the World Cup, who who is the team? If, if if people are tuning in for the first time and they're like, I have no idea who to watch. Who are the who are the two uh, players on the team that you think are going to be have a breakout performance in the World Cup for the United States? Yeah, for the United States. Oh, so I know who I want to have a breakout performance for the okay. World Cup. And I Go want that. that to be Rose Lavelle. Okay. I like um, that. Pick. I think she's an incredible player. She could be kind of that 10 style player of the future for the United States if she stays healthy, which like giant knock on wood. Um, I think Lindsay Horan might actually have a big breakout tournament. But that's like breakout from what? Because she's already, everyone's like, yeah, Lindsay Horan is clearly the linchpin 
of mm-hmm. the United States midfield. So I guess if we're going towards like a player who right now kind of has a kind of low key profile and might have a oh Sam Mewis maybe I she has a lower key profile than Lindsay Horan anyway. Not that mm-hmm. it's super low profile, but I think yeah maybe those players and I really want Rose Lavelle to have a, an incredible tournament just like wow people left and right she's so like quick and tidy with her feet she has good vision she has pretty good short and medium range she can open up like crazy situations with one pass she's super confident in one one-on-one even 1v2 sometimes 1v3 she's like i'm just gonna draw you in draw you in draw you in and then i'm gonna snap the trap on you it's really nice and i hope uh, american fans watching that get to see something really special yeah i think those are good ones i so a couple that i had in mind because i think if if these two have a breakout performance then it ends with us hoisting the trophy mm-hmm. uh and that is abby dalkemper and um and lindsey haran and i think lindsey haran you you said it it's not really a breakout performance if she does well but i feel like she is such uh the the quarterback of everything and doesn't get you know if you're talking about all the players on the team she's probably you know fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth on some people's minds when you're talking about name players on a team that you like but she is the girl that lets everything move and i think if she has a great tournament then that is just going to make a lot of these issues that that we see uh, because we're kind of staring in with a microscope some of these issues are going to go away because she's if she's playing well then it won't matter uh, and then Abby Delkemper, I think when you're talking about our defense, you want to have two players who on the back line are completely solid no matter what and almost do the dirty work without people mentioning their names. And, and you know, if you sometimes like a, like a referee, if you, if you don't know the referee's name, then that means nothing really controversial happened for a center back or, or for a, de- a defensive back, in my opinion, if you don't know, <laughs> if you don't really see like, Hey, they had a good game and you kind of look at the stats and go, Oh wow. They had a terrific game. That means they took everything. They took all the garbage out. They did everything right and made it so that everyone else could shine at the expense of their hard work. And I think doll Kemper has that. And I've seen a lot of games where she puts in the work and doesn't get the kudos, but it's because of her performance that the team has done well. So I hope that she can, take another step as we go to this world cup and, and take a leap out into, into being um, more of a, more of a star because I feel like defensive players are stars too. And I think that would be one where I would love to see her break out and have people have her be a household name by the time this is set and done. I think I really agree with you on doll Kemper. Actually, she's already quietly become like, yeah, of course, Abby doll Kemper is starting at center back because she doesn't make, too many obvious mistakes and clearly she doesn't make a lot of little ones because those compound over time i think she could if she has a breakout tournament do you think she could be poised to be kind of the next cycles becky sauerbrunn where it's like oh yeah we acknowledge that she's you know one of the most she's an elite defender but it's because of all the things that you don't notice her doing but if you really break it down, you know, she's so reliable and it's not about like the big plays coming back, making the huge tackles, although Sarbon clearly does that. It's more about her, her, you know, her intelligence in the back, the way that she 
um, closes off the space through the way that she sometimes distributes at the back. I actually think Davidson is really underrated there as kind of like a, a low key secret weapon because she has that great range and she has good accuracy on the big like diagonal out of the back, like that just bypasses all the lines. I actually really like that pick. Yeah, and, and you you spoke of Davidson. Davidson, I, I I see some of those qualities too. She's only twenty. Like she's gonna be around for several more cycles. Dial Kemper is gonna be around for a few more cycles. And, and I think with if those two can make a name for themselves beyond the the bubble that is U.S. Women's National Team Soccer, uh, I, I think that is something that would really help this team because Tierney Davidson and and, and Dahl Kemper, if they're locking down the back line for the next decade, we're going to be a-okay. Did I say Davidson instead of Dahl Kemper? You said Dahl Kemper and then you said Davidson. Yeah, that was my bad, but (laughs) I do think, I do think Tierna Davidson has potential, but she's not, I, she doesn't inspire the same confidence in me as Abby Dahl Kemper. So yeah, no Dahl Kemper is, is, like I said, there have been times where I look at the stat sheet and I'm like, Oh, she really had a phenomenal game. I like, it's almost like, you will almost need to pay attention to it a lot more. And I, I find myself more like, especially I was in St. Louis on Thursday for the game. And I found myself uh, looking more at Dahl Kemper and Sour Brennan and just seeing how they play. Because one, I'm not as familiar with it because mostly I'm focused on the forwards. That's that's part of the, dr- the draw to the team. And, and also because I want to see how, when this team presses forward, they cover the space and, Together, they cover the space. I feel like this is Becky Sauerbrunn's. It might be her last opportunity. She's 33. Um, and Dahl Kemper could be that uh, that that player who kind of succeeds her as the the captain of the, uh, of the defense. But I think just the way that she plays in her own right, she is a, a star. And I think that would be great to see her. Shine. She, does, she hasn't scored either like Becky. Um, maybe we'll get Becky one before she... <laughs> retires um and then we can focus on on getting abby one so what's your wildest dream for the women's world cup because the moment you said that i was like my wildest dream is becky sauerbrunn scores a goal in the world cup and it's like an important one too like a knockout game game winning goal i think if she scored a like a knockout like let's say you know late 75th or an on minute like if she scored a game winner um against the france or something like that uh i I think I might rush the field um, <laughs> <laughs> like that, like in, in St. Louis, every time we go, we have been like dying to see her score. I almost, I, I was hoping that we got a penalty just so we could start chanting for them to give the ball to her to take the penalty kick, because I feel like that is the one thing left that she has not done is score. And the one thing that she deserves to do is score a goal. Um, she has put that kind of effort in uh, over the last like, almost what on damn near 20 years um just to get to this point and i feel like this is our last chance to really go go out on top and i I think that's what i want for her so yeah that would be amazing if she could do that um someone would have to hold me back from rushing the field if she did that if becky does that world cup over tournament ends at that point yeah the united states correct winning everything (laughs) uh okay so we're gonna wrap this up but uh as you guys know um now that you're hearing this, next weekend, uh, next Sunday, is the final uh, send-off match for the women's national team. They play Mexico at Red Bull Arena in Harrison, New Jersey. If you are in or around New York, get to that stadium. Let's fill that up and send 
these ladies off to France in style because they're going to give us a show. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be an early one uh, on a Sunday uh, midday game, but it's going to be a good one. So make sure you get out there or get to your TV sets and support the team. Moving on, we also have another tournament that uh, we, we could have a whole podcast about why this tournament is going on at the same time as the Women's World Cup. Uh, but the CONCACAF Gold Cup is also going to be happening uh, in June and early July. Um, we have uh, the men's roster is supposed to be the training roster is supposed to be released this week with the final roster being cut down after their first warm up match right here in my city in DC on June 5th. So uh, on that side, Stephanie, what do you think that there's a lot of things we could talk about with the men's national team. Obviously this gold cup is a way to get fans back on board after the debacle uh, for uh, back in 2017 during World Cup qualifying. What is the, if you have to pick one thing um, that this team needs to do, what do they need to do to get fans back on the train? That's interesting. I was just about to ask you, like, what would you consider to be success for the men's national team? Short of like, besides outright winning the whole thing, Mm -hmm. what would you like? Let's assume that's just off the table. Like whether they win or, or they don't, what would you consider to be progress? Like what is successful progress based on this tournament? Um, I think consistency, maybe. I know that's a basic answer, but that's like the most reassuring thing to see from a team, right? Is consistency. So let's see, Group D, that's Panama, Trinidad and Tobago, Guyana. I mean, I don't think that that's a group where they're like comfortably going to advance out of group but it's a group where like we shouldn't be going oh it's like the group of death i think i want to see a consistent group stage where they're <clears throat> okay maybe i am saying like i want them to comfortably advance out of that group <laughs> no i i think that's i think that's fair i mean here's the thing we're, we're talking about a team that won the last gold cup in 2017 when they were busy failing to qualify for the world cup at the same time. So, and, and some of the teams that they destroyed in the gold cup, they lost to at home and in, in qualifying or on the road and qualifying. I think that is consistency. Yes. Is the key, but to get fans back, everyone already thinks that we are like, if you talk about, I, I call them the Olympic fans. Those fans that show up every four years, they say that, you know, they're lifelong fans uh, during the world cup. And then um, the world cup's over and they disappear. Those right. fans are going to see that a loss in the Gold Cup means nothing um, in the sense that they were already checked out. There's no reason for them to check back in. And that is why winning this is a little bit more important now. Um, also, because if there is a CONCACAF, or I'm sorry, a FIFA Confederations Cup in 2021, there's still talk about whether or not that's actually going to happen. But if we win this Gold Cup, we are in that. And that is another summer of experience against some of the top teams in the world for this team. We don't get a lot of opportunities. This is the first competitive matches we've had since that day in Kuva back in October 2017. And I want these guys to be able to know what it's like to withstand the pressure of teams going at them and playing for something. They want to hoist a trophy. We want them to hoist the trophy. And so success is hoisting that trophy again. Um, whether it's 
doing it while beating Mexico, that would be obviously terrific. Um, if it's beating another team, just as good. But to to have people to, to win the Gold Cup is when people are going to say, oh, maybe the United States men's national team is back on its, you know, back on its grind. They're they're getting back to where they need to be. Um, it's not going to be a full, full-fledged. We're not going to have people jumping out of the stands and, and running on the field and celebrating and, and buying jerseys off the shelves and, you know, walking around saying, yep, yep, I was, I never, I never left, but it's going to be a start. And I think that start is going to be showing the showing fans that, Hey, we have improved that this is that the 2017 is well beyond us and we are looking forward and, and we should feel confident about the next process, which would be qualifying for 2022. In terms of personnel, who do you think, I mean, obviously we don't have a roster yet, but I think we can make some educated guesses, but I mean, we talked about consistency. What does that look like in terms of personnel for you? That's a great question. I, I think a lot of these younger guys um, that we've seen over the last year, they're going to be a part of this. And the question is how many of them um, do you welcome back? Some of the veterans, like, I mean, obviously Michael Bradley and Josie outdoor are two people that, for some reason, uh, for better or worse, people have latched on to as the symbol of the failure of 2017. But in my opinion, both of them should be on this team. Uh, and I say that with the caveat, if Josie Altatore is healthy, because right now he isn't. Um, if he's healthy, if he's 100% ready to go, there's no striker in America better than him. And, uh, or no American striker, that is. Uh, and I think that is where we kind of have to, you know, the consistency is, I want the best 23 players on this team. And I, I'm glad that they're doing a training camp roster to whittle down to 23 where guys can come in and compete. But I want to see the best guys competing at goal. I want to see Zach Steffen, Ethan Horvath, and Bill Hamid in camp competing against each other to see who's going to be that number one, to see who's going to be the number two, number three. Bring in Sean Johnson. Bring in Jesse Gonzalez. I want to see a goalkeeper competition with everybody who has skin in the game, giving their all to be one of those 23, be one of those three goalkeepers on defense. We have guys like Matt Miazga, John Brooks, DeAndre Led Yedlin. Those guys are, uh, you consider staples on the team, but then you have the newcomers. You have, you know, uh, Nick Lima, Daniel Lovitz, like those guys that have come up under either Dave Sarakin or under, uh, or under Greg Berhalter that fit in his system and they should be competing. I want to see, you know, Anthony Robinson. I want to see if he can compete. Cameron Carter-Vickers, those type of guys. So the thing with the young and the new, some people say nobody under 24 should be on this Gold Cup team. I think that's ludicrous. I think you want the best 23 guys out there, but you also want to bring in the guys that you know are going to compete and be to be a part of that 23. And I want to see that competition in DC and, and when they whittled this roster down to see who's going to get on the field, because I think that's, what's going to make us better and create more of that consistency that you were talking about. Honestly, I think outside of the world cup, like if it doesn't matter how young they are, if they can play, they can play. And honestly, it, even if the young player is like a little bit iffy for someone to get, be able to get tournament experience where it's like, they feel the actual pressure of a tournament. And yeah, it certainly matters. And it's not like, uh, a money grab like she believes or tournament of nations on the women's side where the federation put it together on right. their own just to have like kind of a you know puff piece tournament or whatever i mean 
you know what I mean? The 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 opponents are tough, but it's not yeah. it's not the gold cup, what I'm saying. Um to have them be able to go through that when you're 17, 18, 19 before you get to the World Cup qualifying stage, I think that's really crucial. So I don't understand any like age-based complaint, honestly. But in terms of young guys, what's the young player not named Pulisic that you think is going to be, you know, have potential to be a game changer here? Uh, so I think there's going to be two, and I think they're going to be the guys that line up necessary, uh, most likely right next to Christian Pulisic, and that's Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams. Um, we've talked about them for the last year. We've seen their rise, uh, their their meteoric rise alongside um, Pulisic. And really, when you're talking about a midfield, the midfield is almost pretty set with those three guys in there. So even if you you know Pulisic on the right or on the left in the middle, you have those two guys, uh, McKinney and Adams. They have been the engine for our team, whether it be um, whether pressing forward, passing. Um, being a bull in the case of McKinney, uh, Adams just being the guy who creates some some action and presses the team forward and makes the passes necessary, or even scores himself like he did against Mexico. Uh, I think those kind of game, those type of players are, are who we want. And uh, one guy it will be interesting to see if he makes the team, um, and and what kind of action he gets is uh, Josh Sargent. Now, Josh Sargent came in on fire. He was in the U-17 World Cup, U-20 World Cup in the same year. He then made his debut on the national team. Uh, was He got to Werder Bremen, lit, you know, was on fire for a while, and then has sat for a while um, and hasn't played a lot. And I think that uh, would, you know, that eats at a player's confidence, especially a young player um, with his caliber. So I want to see him come in, see what, if that translates into rustiness or if it translates into something where he doesn't have the confidence that he did back in the fall. Uh, but I think if he is on, he is one of our better, um, better players on the team, no matter who, no matter who we're talking about. And, and that, and also that gives a boost to everybody on the team. Cause he's kind of that guy that when you see him play, you see everybody wanting to play with the same, you know, fervor and fun that he does. So I want to see that, and hopefully that will be – he will make the team, and hopefully he will have a great uh, goal cup because I think that would mean we're doing very, very well. I have high hopes for Weston McKinney. I don't – I mean, aside from his playing style, I'm not really sure. You know how you just kind of watch a player a little bit and you, like, emotionally latch on to them? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that that's kind of what happened. It didn't take much, but, yeah, I have uh... – that's actually who I'm happy, ha- hoping has a breakout tournament, assuming he makes the roster. And I, you know, I'm kind of, I'm uh, what, 99% he will. What would you yeah. put it at? Yeah, I would, I would put it at 99%, you know, save something terrible happening. He picks up a knock or something that would keep him out. Uh, but uh, especially, I think the thing is he's adaptable. And like you said, his play is just something that you just kind of, it, it fits an American style that we, you know, that I grew up with that style of never quit, never say die. Um, nothing's earned. Everything, everything is taken like, and he goes out and takes things. Like if he wants the ball, he goes out and takes it. He's not going to wait for someone to pass it to him. He's going to go get it. And I want to see that side of that type of attitude on the field. He has that. And, and at, at a young age too. So I, I love his game in that regard. And I think it's something that also complements the rest of the guys on the team. Well, because it allows those guys to be more open to do what they want to do. 
uh, on the field. And I think that is the kind of key component um, that he brings to the table. So hopefully, hopefully we're talking about West McKinney being one of the stars of this uh, gold cup. Um, Cause I think he will be. How old is he? He's 20. God, he's already yeah, he's 20. 20. I feel like the he's like forever for some reason, 19 years old in my mind. I don't know why. Like Rose Lavelle is the same. I'm like, how old is she now? Like, I think she's 23, 24. But I'm like, no, mm-hmm. no, no. Rose Lavelle is stopped aging at 21. It's weird. I'm getting older. So now all the young players who I see coming up who like first it's like, oh, I could have babysat for them. Like, oh, that could be my younger sibling. And then sooner or later, it's going to be like, oh, that player is young enough. Like technically I could have that could be my child. I'm not looking forward to that day, but for yeah. now it's like, Oh, okay. Well, I mean, 20. If you, yeah. If you think about it, he's 20, Pulisic's 20, um, Tyler Adams is 20. Then you talk about on defense, like Cameron Carter Vickers is 21. Anthony Robinson's 21. Uh, Shaq Moore, who we saw glimpses of he's 22. Mark McKenzie, who is now on the U 20 team. He's 20. Like we have a lot of guys that are in that 19. And I believe Sergeant is, is just turned 18 or 19. Um, Tim Way is 19. So we have a lot of those guys in that eight, that 19, 20, 21 year old range that are doing big things in a way that we haven't seen kids their age do abroad and uh, even or even here at MLS. So what that means is the future is bright and now can we get them? And, and the thing is, is, whether you take the age out of it, those guys I would say are some of our best players in the pool. But now we need to get them up against the competition that they're going to face to get this team back to the World Cup and get us back in the flow of things. That's going to start here at the Gold Cup because this is the competition. Whether I mean, yes, we're playing Guyana, we're playing you know, I mean, Trinidad and Tobago. Obviously, was in a hex last year. We last time we know about them. Panama was as well. But when you see some of the other teams that are in uh, in the Gold Cup, yeah, of course, it's not going to be. Uh, a full-fledged World Cup qualification type of competition, but we need to see how they play when there is a lose-and-go-home type of feel behind it. So let me pose this question to you, not to jinx it, but we've discussed what would success look like, but what happens if there's failure at the Gold Cup? What do you think happens to the men's national team? We lose more fans. Um, Those fans who, I mean, stuck around after the debacle of 2017 and really said, you know what, the Gold Cup, we, we, who were believed in, you know, some of the things that Burhalter is proposing and then what he's introduced to the team. I think we lose some of those people. Um, some people will probably just say, just call me back when they make a World Cup. Maybe I'll get back into it. The, the issue with the men is they're at a very critical stage when it comes to there's very few stars that are young enough that people want to latch on to uh, for the long haul. Um, Christian Pulisic, when you think about it, he's far and away the, you know, we, all those guys I just mentioned, Christian Pulisic is far and away the most popular player on this team. Um, and, and when you, he's, he's going to be at Chelsea in the fall. He, he was playing for Dortmund. He's, he is America's guy. And everyone else is just, you know, yeah, there's some diehards that know, most or all of these names, but some people are just like, who is Weston McKinney? He plays for Sh- Schalke. What is Schalke? What is a Schalke? You know, right? Like there, there's yeah. some of those, Tyler Adams. Yeah. He played for New York, but he played in MLS. MLS is not that great. We have those fans that surround this team and they're there. They may know some of the names, but they discredit how they play because they haven't seen them play 
well against top talent. And I think that is what a loss would do. It just further brings more of those people out to the world saying, hey, I knew this Greg Berhalter thing didn't work. I knew that these players weren't that good. I know that MLS isn't that great. I know that, you know, them playing um, in fourth division Turkey wasn't that good or wherever they're playing. That it, it is going to create more of that. And that just makes it more of an uphill battle for this program to climb. I mean, you teach people how to treat you and U.S. soccer has taught its fan base to always be super cautious about everything. Like, mm-hmm. it, I was I was going to say expect the worst and hope for the best, but I don't know if fans even want to hope for the best anymore. They just want to, like you said, like, hey, just call me if they qualify for the next World Cup. In the meantime, I'm going to turtle up over here emotionally. Yeah, they're just like, everything is awful. Um, You know, burn it all down, start it over. I mean, like I said, we have those people who are like, you know, if if they're not 24 or younger, um, then they shouldn't be on the national team anymore. And that and that's something is so asinine because, first of all, no one does that. Nowhere does anyone say, you know what? Like we have basically like we're just going to basically have a U25 team uh, for our national team. No one's ever done that. And so to think that people just think, hey, maybe we should try that because that might work better than what we're doing. That tells you how far down people think we are. But I will say this, when it comes to CONCACAF, and that is, we have to kind of focus on CONCACAF because even though we're talking about trying to be one of the best teams in the world, we have to, we can't do that if we can't be the best in our region. It still is a two to three man race. And we're talking about the United States, Mexico, and Costa Rica. And when we're talking about those three teams, everyone else is way far down the pack. Uh, And that is why the Gold Cup, even if we, blitz through the gold cup people are still going to have their doubts because they're going to be like oh you played trinidad tobago yeah you should have beat them you should have beat them last time oh you played guiana with big whoop de doo i don't know where that is on the map we're going to have those doubts anyway so that's why i think if we can go out there and just play hard and, and just beat everybody and, and show some style doing it that's what's going to get some of these guys names out there um and really get some of their their faces out and say, oh, maybe this West McKinney guy is really good. Maybe Josh Sargent is the real deal. Maybe Christian Pulisic is as advertised, and, and, and he is the best player on the team. But there, there's so many guys, you know, one, two, three, four, five guys that aren't far off from him, that it's not a huge gap between him and the rest of the player pool. So I think those are all things that people are worried about, and that is why this Gold Cup is more has more eyeballs on it than most do in the past, but that's also kind of the tragic story of why, you know, maybe they should have just moved this gold cup to July so that fans could give the attention to both tournaments and even the U 20 world cup to give attention to all these tournaments that they deserve. I mean, I agree with you. What's the scheduling? It's uh, the final of the women's world cup is the, uh, it's the same day as the gold cup final July 7th. Yeah. Yeah. That's like mad disrespectful. And if the and if the U.S. if the women's national team gets second in their group, their trajectory the the how their uh, uh, how their scheduling would go after that would mean that the semifinal would also be on the same day as the Gold Cup semifinal, and possibly a quarterfinal would be on the same day as the Gold Cup quarterfinal. So uh, for for you and I, um, I is going to be a lot of sleepless nights because of teams playing at the same or on the same day, but especially for fans who are trying to do both, it just kind of, you see a fan base split because there were fans that wanted to do both and they just can't. So they had to pick 
one or the other. Some went to, some are going to France. Some are staying here to travel with the men's national team. And it, it, it really is a disser- It really is uh, disrespectful really to the women's team first and foremost, but really to the fans, because some of these fans did want to support both teams this summer and were not able to do so. It trickles down to everything. I know U.S. soccer is not, you know, entirely the one that's like, hey, we'll we'll make the schedule this way. Like FIFA is the ultimate villain to blame here. But like you see it trickle down everywhere. Like you and I have been kind of complaining about the jerseys, the jersey situation for the past couple of weeks, ever since they kind of had that cat handed jersey launch where it was clear that there were issues either on the U.S. soccer side or the Nike side or something, both probably with a little bit of uh, FIFA incompetence or neglect added in. So, I mean, yeah, it it just, it, it comes from the top down and I think it infects the rest of the culture and it makes it shitty for the rest of us fans who are trying to do our best. Like, we're literally trying to give you our time, our money, our, like, emotional labor. You and I have been sitting here talking for nearly an hour on this podcast about anything and everything U.S. soccer. And yet it it feels like we just don't get anything back from them. Like, what is this relationship about? What are we doing? Yeah, and, and to kind of finalize everything and to sum it up, there is so much soccer going on this summer. I mean, we just talked about two tournaments. There's there's so many others. I mean, you're talking about Copa America is going on at the same time. That final will also be on July 7th. Uh, in case we needed more soccer on July 7th, uh, plan to not sleep that day. Uh, you know, American, uh, I'm sorry, the African Cup of Nations is going on at the same time. UEFA Nations League finals are going to go on right as this Women's World Cup starts. Uh, and then you just have friendlies and Euro uh, qualifying. You have so much going on. There was a, there should have been a way or some adults who said, guys, there is too much soccer going on at the same time for fans to concentrate on everything and they want to concentrate on everything. So let's figure out how to space this calendar out so that everything and every tournament can get the due respect that it deserves and give it the, you know, the limelight, the, the, the shine and the spotlight that they all deserve. I mean, there's no reason why we should have July 7th be a day where there's three international cup finals uh, going on at the same on the same day, and two of them on this here at least here in the United States on the same network. Now I know they probably enjoy it, but they're going to lose people who are you know hopefully celebrating a women's World Cup fourth star, and then they're going to say, oh wait, there's another game tonight. We have to what like the U.S. men they're playing that'd be a dream scenario for for fox but really for fans it's it's it almost does them a disservice because it's exhausting it's it's exhausting exactly like you cannot emotionally i mean emotionally and physically like it's hard to watch three soccer games in a day it's that six hours you have to mentally devote to to watching games and then you know just emotionally if you have any kind of emotional investment in any of these teams, I also don't understand, like leave gender out of it just for a second. Mm-hmm. It feels like they're going to be cannibalizing all the audiences. So like none of them is going to reach the potential maximum audience that they could have. And they're just shooting themselves in both feet. I don't understand what happened. No, that's a great, that's a great point. And I mean, I'm just thinking back to 2015. Uh, I, I went to Winnipeg. I didn't go to the other games, but I watched the other games on TV and just the emotion spent on those games 
was enough. And then I, I remember even when we won in 2015, the final was over. It was like nine o'clock in the evening. And I, I'm at uh, the AODC bar and we start celebrating. We go, hey, guys, before we start celebrating, the Gold Cup starts on Tuesday. And every, you just hear people just go, oh, my God, what? Really? And that was when the, the two were separated. So it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how fans react to having all of this soccer on at the same time uh, or, you know, on this and in some days having multiple games to watch that you're invested emotionally invested in uh, is going to be nuts for everybody. So uh, that is why I hope for those of you out there, we are going to do our best to stay on top of all of it, because if, if you can't watch one, we'll try to make sure that you get the information that you need to watch the other, uh, or if you're in the stands in France and you can't stay up till three 30 in the morning, every single night to watch a game, uh, in back of America, uh, we're going to do our best to do the coverage, uh, that you guys, uh, deserve so that you can keep abreast of all the teams as they go forward to win trophies in their respective tournaments. Yeah. I think that's a good time for us to kind of lay out a little bit of the roadmap. You and I will both be in France, but of course we're at stars and stripes FC going to do our best to do pretty comprehensive coverage. We have a lot of our staff. We're already planning out the calendar and asking people, you know, what do you want to sign up for? So I think it's going to be okay. Yeah, we'll be fine. Uh, we're going to have a lot of articles and, and especially our, our focus will obviously be on the women's world cup and the gold cup. Uh, the U 20 world cup kicks off this week. Uh, or at least this Friday. So we'll have some coverage there as well. So if you're tuning into that tournament, uh, you'll be able to follow that coverage uh, at stars and stripes at C.com uh, women's world cup, obviously here uh, stars and stripes at C uh, all for 11 is going to be doing coverage as well. All the MLS blogs that are covering NWSL teams are going to do their own coverage as well. So there's going to be a lot out there for you guys to keep abreast of, but also on this podcast, we're going to be giving you podcasts pretty regularly, whether it be, both Steph and I, or individually, we will have some days where Steph will do uh, her own podcast dealing with some some issues, and I will do some as well uh, while we're in France so that you guys can listen and read as much <laughs> uh, about soccer as you want. Uh, we're going to give it all to you this summer, so uh, get your rest now because starting June 7th, we're not going to get a lot of it. God, I mean, <laughs> I'm excited, but that sounds so stressful. Yeah, I, I'm already looking at my apartment thinking of what I need to bring and what I need to leave and what needs to be done uh, because we're, we're less than three weeks away and it's it's getting closer. Yeah, it doesn't feel real, but if it's like the impending shadow looming over you. It That feels very real. It's yeah. like when you cross from sunlight into shadow and the temperature drops 10 degrees and like you shiver a little bit. You're like, what's that? <laughs> it's It's June. It's, it feels like a ghost is behind me telling me what to do. And it's just uh, all like all I can think about is the ghost. I'm not thinking about what I need to do. I'm just thinking about that there's a ghost behind me. And that ghost <laughs> is just getting squeezing ever so tightly. And all of a sudden, it's going to be June 7th. And we're going to be on our way to France. And, and that's going to be real. <laughs> Become a soccer writer, kids. It's a lot of fun. And it's not stressful. And it you know makes you love the game in its entirety for very pure and healthy reasons yes uh but you can also eat baguettes while you do it so that's what i plan on doing uh do you have anything else or i think we can probably call this a night yeah i think so too that's just about an hour on the money 
yeah so uh like we said this is the stars and stripes sc podcast uh for stephanie i am donald thank you guys so much for tuning back in i know it's been a long time but we're going to be back much sooner than 10 months from now we're going to be back pretty regularly going forward uh with all the content that we could possibly have but in the meantime stay tuned to stars and stripes sc.com uh for all the coverage on all uh, the men's national team and women's national team uh news out there including transfer rumors and things like that it's going to be a busy summer guys strap in it's going to be fun though take it easy